Morning, church. So good to be back with you. So good to be able to walk through these stories together. And as we hear them, hear God speak to us and have him shape us to be like him. It's safe to say that every one of us in this room are bothered by things in the world outside of us. It seems like it's more than ever these days, at least for me, observing myself and observing other people, that there's things in our society and things in the world that irritate us, bother us, and trouble us. And they should. That should be the case. Yet when we read the story that we're going to go through together this morning, it becomes clear that the brokenness outside of us is actually just a reflection of the brokenness within us. In other words, the most fundamental problem is not out there, it's in here. So I wonder if any of you struggle like me, ruminating about the way our city is, ruminating ruminating about the way the world is, and think very little about how broken you and me are. If that's the case, if you're like me in that way, then there's something that's off. And this story is going to help us figure out how to change together. So now we turn back to the book of Genesis, and we're at a low point in history, a really low point in history. The waters of the flood have covered the face of the earth, have exterminated all of life because human sin and human disobedience against God had stacked up and grieved God's heart and brought him to the point where he even regretted making human beings in the first place. And so he sends a flood to completely wipe the earth clean. He shows mercy to one man and his family named Noah who walks with God And he's about to inherit a brand new world washed clean. And the tension in the story is, is it going to be any better than the old world? Is the new world that Noah emerges into going to be any better than the old world? So where we find him right now is floating on a boat. He's been there for about a year with his family, his children, the animals, And what will God do next? Where is this story going to go? And with that, we take a look at verse 1 of chapter 8. There's going to be a lot of story to go through this morning, so just be ready for that. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and domestic animals that were with him in the ark. Okay, so did, did God forget about Noah? No, God doesn't forget about anything. Rather, the word remember is a figure of speech that shows up in the Bible when God's about to turn his attention towards someone and intervene on their behalf to help them. So this word shows up again, remember, later in the Bible, and whenever God remembers someone, he's about to show up and intervene on their behalf to help them. So how does God then complete his rescue of Noah and his family. Let's keep reading to find out. God caused a wind 
to blow over the earth, and the waters receded. The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of heaven were closed, and the rain stopped falling from the sky. The waters kept receding steadily from the earth, so that they had gone down by the end of the 150 days. On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on one of the mountains of Ararat. The waters kept on receding until the 10th month. On the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So God shows up. When the world was completely inhabitable place for Noah and his family to live. Like, without this boat, him and his family are goners. They'll never survive on this earth again. And God mercifully starts to cause the waters to go away. Right? This takes us right back to the beginning of Genesis. You guys remember? Genesis chapter 1, at the very beginning, what's covering the earth? Water is. The earth isn't a good home for people. God spends seven days turning the earth into a very good home for people. And then through human sin and rebellion, it starts unraveling until finally we, it reverses us from se- day seven to day one, and the earth isn't a home that anyone can live in anymore. And then God shows up and turns it back into a home for people to live in. Like, we're all alive on this earth day after day after day because God turned it back into a home that we could live in. Does that amaze anyone? Did you know that God never had to turn, make the earth in the first place? He never had to do it. And far less, after we screwed it up, did he have to turn it back into a home that we could live in again? But he walks through his work of creation again, takes us back to day seven, takes us back to a very good place to live because he's a merciful God. This is an act of new creation. Makes a new world for Noah and his family and his descendants to live in. It's the world we live in today. Yet at this point, the world is not yet ready for Noah and his family to go forth onto it again. So the story goes on. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. He kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up on the earth. Then Noah sent on a dove to see if the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. The dove could not find a resting place for its feet because the water still covered the surface of the entire earth. And so it returned to Noah in the ark. He stretched out his hand, took the dove, and brought it back into the ark. He waited seven more days, and then he sent out the dove again from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there was a freshly plucked olive leaf in its beak. Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. He waited another seven days and sent the dove out again, but it did not return to him this time. Noah sees the waters receding. He sees the dry land emerging, just like at the beginning. And so he's going to try to figure out now, has God made this place into a safe environment for me and my family to live again? So the first thing he does is he sends out a raven to go and test and to see whether it's a safe place to live. And I don't know why, but the raven seems to be useless. 
So he sends out a dove. And the dove goes out and comes back and shows him, no, it's not ready yet. So what does he do? He waits. There's going to be periods of waiting all throughout this story where Noah, who walks with God, shows his faithfulness to God by trusting God. And that shows up in him patiently waiting for God to make the earth into a good place for him to live again. Next, the dove comes back again. And this time, it has an olive leaf in its beak. Not only is the earth becoming a dry place where there's dry land to live and breathe and move on, the earth starts to produce food again. I'll say that again. The earth starts to produce food again. (laughs) So easy to take for granted how God takes care of us already this morning when all of us were able to have breakfast before we came here, and that's not something we should take lightly. It's God who gives us good gifts like the breakfast we had this morning. He turned the earth into a place that produced food again. And then he waits another seven days. The dove goes forth and doesn't come back. Now Noah's confident that he can emerge from the ark and go back to this world that previously had been destroyed. And we see now what he does next in the next verses. Pick up in verse 13. In Noah's 601st year, in the first day of the first month, the waters had dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke and said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you, Bring out with you all the living creatures that are with you. Bring out every living thing, including the birds, animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them increase and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Noah went out along with his sons, his wives, and his sons' wives. Every living creature, every creeping thing, every bird, and everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark in groups. Noah takes the covering off the ark he can see that the earth is ready to be lived on again. But he doesn't just go forth because he sees that the earth is a good place to live again. He waits for God to tell him to go forth. See that? He waits until God says, come out of the ark. All throughout the story of Noah, we've seen a pattern of a man who the the phrase the scriptures use, walks with God. Here's another example of him walking with God. He doesn't just see that the earth is good and decide for himself to go out of the ark. No, he waits for God who commanded him to go into the ark to command him to come forth out of the ark. And when he comes out of the ark, onto a fresh world, what a triumphant moment that must have been for this man who walked with God who trusted God to take care of him, emerges from the ark a year later. The odds of his survival through this event would have been improbable. 
improbable, surviving a year-long global flood in the ancient world, absolutely unthinkable. And here he is, he trusted God to keep him alive through this catastrophic event, and he came out into a newly created world. Church, this is our very same hope we have as Noah. At the end of time, Jesus will come back and there will be a catastrophic judgment that no sinner could survive. No sinner can survive the catastrophic judgment. The chances of survival are less than the chances of Noah's survival. And yet we're trusting in the same God and the same mercy of that God that will emerge in the new world that he creates alive. This moment of Noah's triumph is, will be the moment of our triumph for those of us who trust in Jesus. You have a triumph one day to live out in Christ. You will emerge from the final judgment on the other side, safe and alive in the new world that he's making if you trust in Jesus and walk with God. When we see moments like this where Noah emerges and comes forth, it should make us want more than anything to walk with God meticulously obeying his word, reading his word, trusting him, spending time with him. I'm just struck again and again in these stories how faithful and careful Noah is to obey every word of God as he walks through the earth in fellowship with God. And I want that to be me and I want that to be you. There's a path towards life. There's a path towards through final judgment into life on the other side. And we're looking at it right now. So church, let's walk with God together like this man of God did. Let's walk with God together. So what will be Noah's first action in this new, fresh world? Verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord. He then took some of every kind of clean animal and clean offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, even though the inclination of their minds is evil from childhood on. I will never again destroy everything that lives as I have done. While the earth continues to exist, planting time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. The first thing Noah does when he leaves the ark and comes back onto the earth is he offers a sacrifice. What he understands is he does not live, he did not survive because of his own righteousness. He survived because of the mercy of God. If anyone will survive into the new creation with God, it will not be because of you, because of the mercy of God. The word used to describe this sacrifice is a burnt offering. We'll learn later in the book of Leviticus that a burnt offering is a payment for sin. Noah knew, as these verses say, that the inclination of his heart was evil. The inclination of our hearts are evil. 
So the ark took Noah and his family out of the world and saved them. But what it couldn't do was take the world out of them. You guys see that? So Noah got in the boat and God rescued them from the world and took them out of the world. But what the ark couldn't do was take the world out of them. Noah brought himself, his wife, his kids, his animals into the new world. What else did he bring? Noah also brought sin into the new world. You inherited life from this man God kept alive. And you inherited sin and death from this man God kept alive. All of us need the same mercy as Noah experienced. All of us need a burnt offering. All of us need a sacrifice if we're going to survive the final judgment and live on the earth with God. A burnt offering is a beautiful picture of God's mercy because what happens when God shows mercy is he consumes the sacrifice rather than the sinner. So the sinner, me, you, everyone, we deserve to be consumed. We deserve to perish for the wrong that we've done. But in a burnt offering or a sacrifice, what happens is the substitute is consumed instead. And something that we need to remember as we go through this story is that Noah just didn't go find a substitute. He didn't just go find a sacrifice and said, hey, this will be my sacrifice. This will be the substitute for my sin. No, God provided the sacrifice for Noah's sin, right? He put the clean animals on the ark that Noah offered for his sin. If there will be a sacrifice for our sin, you must provide it. You cannot provide your own sacrifice, you cannot atone for your own sin. You cannot cleanse yourself. God must provide the sacrifice and the offering if you're going to be clean, which is something that we're going to keep moving towards as we move through this story. All of us, all of us should be happy when it says that the sacrifice produced a soothing aroma to God. Right? It's a figure of speech. That shows that God accepted the sacrifice. So we have a God who accepts sacrifice. I'm going to say that again. We have a God who accepts sacrifice. If that wasn't his character, if that wasn't his nature, if that was not something he was good enough to do, all of us would be lost. There would be no hope for any of us. But because of God's character that he accepts sacrifice, there is hope for Noah and there's hope for us who are sinners who do not deserve to live but have an opportunity to live because of God's mercy. The Lord smells the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. Noah is not the only one who receives mercy when he offers this sacrifice. That mercy is extended to all of creation. All the world gets that mercy. Every generation gets that mercy. Did you know that since Noah's generation, there has not been a less sinful generation to live? Since Noah's generation, there has not been a less sinful generation to live, which means that every generation since the generation of Noah has deserved a global catastrophe like the flood, washing them off from the face of the world. If I'm honest, right, I deserve this catastrophe. If we're honest, we deserve this catastrophe. There's no reason we even deserve to be alive to have the opportunity to know God. 
right? That's how bad the situation is. When we really look inside our hearts and see what's really going on in there, we discover that none of us even deserve to be alive to get the opportunity to know God. And yet, and yet, he caused the sun to come up this morning. And yet there wasn't a flood today. And yet he gathered you into this room to hear about how merciful he is to you in Jesus. We struggle to understand how severe our sin is and how merciful our God is. And God uses stories like these to wake us up. So let's wake up together. Right? If you're struggling to believe that God's good to you, if you're struggling to believe that he's been merciful to you today, then just start by marveling by the fact that there even is today. Marvel at the fact that you, along with seven billion other human beings, woke up this morning. Seven million human beings whom God treated better than they deserve to be treated. Isn't that amazing? Seven billion examples this morning of God's mercy when they all woke up what we are, and every one of us is an example of that. And then God goes forward and starts doing even more good to Noah in the next verse. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the original commission and blessing that God gives to Adam. This was his original purpose for putting human beings on the earth. After God shows mercy to Noah, he restores Noah's purpose and gives him the exact same purpose as God originally gave to human beings when he created the world. You might think at this point that human sin and rebellion had completely wrecked the purpose for human beings on the earth. Yet God in his mercy gives these human beings the exact same purpose as when he first made them. Whenever God shows mercy to someone, he also restores their purpose. He has never shown mercy to someone he does not also have a purpose for in this life. And in the next. You might be here this morning and wondering, have I screwed up enough that my purpose is gone, that my purpose is ruined, that my purpose no longer matters, that I shouldn't even be alive anymore because of the mistakes I've made or the harm I've done or the harm that's done to me? Friend, if you're trusting in Jesus and you're receiving his mercy, God has a life-altering purpose for you in this life. Your sin is not greater than God's mercy. And if his mercy is greater than your sin, then he can restore and give you a purpose in this life. And oftentimes it's through our brokenness and fallenness that God gives us our purpose. When you've experienced the brokenness you have, you're now able to minister and connect to people you never could before. At this point in the story, Noah is in a fresh place to experience the grace and mercy of God like never before. So never believe the lie that the wounds that you've experienced or the wounds that you've caused can destroy God's purpose for you because it can't. Because his mercy is greater than our sin. Amen? And then God keeps speaking to Noah, describing the situation that he's in. Every living creature of the earth and every bird of the sky will be terrified of you. Everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea are under your authority. You may eat any moving thing that lives. 
As I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat with its life, that is, its blood in it. For your lifeblood, I will surely exact punishment. From every living creature, I will exact punishment. From each person, I will exact punishment for the life of the individual, since the man was his relative. Whoever sheds human blood by other human beings must his blood be shed. For in God's image, God has made humankind. But as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase abundantly on the earth and multiply on it. Those verses are a little confusing. What God's basically saying is that in this new world, animals will kill human beings and humans will kill human beings. And I'm not okay with that because human beings are made in my image. We see that in this new place that God has put Noah. God has washed the world clean. He's restored relationship with Noah through sacrifice, but he has not yet completely renewed the world or the human heart. There was a curse that came on the ground in Genesis chapter 3 after human sin entered into the world. A curse that frustrates human life, a curse that brings death, and we see that that curse is still operating and still in effect even after the flood. The flood has not yet washed the curse away from the world. It's still present. Where do we see the effects of this curse? Humans are still going to rule over animals, yet instead of cooperation and closeness with animals, there's distance and separation. Right? Like, I love going to the zoo. Those animals look fuzzy and soft. <laughs> but there needs to be that glass between them and me, right? So they'd... <laughs> and that's, that's a picture, right? That's a picture of the distance that came between humans and animals. Moreover, animals will become food for humans, and humans will become food for animals. So humans eating animals and animals eating humans was not the way it was at the start, but is the way it's been in history since the fall. And sadly, and most terribly of all, human beings will continue to kill other human beings who are made in God's image. Right? Nothing should be as alarming to us as the reality of human beings killing other human beings. If we go back to the very beginning of the story, when God made man and woman, the purpose he made them for was to create new image of God and fill the world with image of God. So nothing is further against the purpose of human beings when instead of creating new image of God, human beings kill image of God. When humans kill image of God, it's the greatest outrage there is in this entire world. And all over the world is happening today. There's criminals and rogue governments and just brutal tribes and people who kill other human beings. Even in our city, on our streets, there is violence where image of God is killed. And worst of all in our city, in abortion clinics, image of God is, is killed. And we mourn about all of it. And we recognize that there is a curse in this world. 
And even though the flood washed away rebellion, it didn't wash away our dirty hearts. And we still live in a broken, fallen place that is not yet as it should be because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And then in verse 7, after giving these sad descriptions of life on earth, God reminds his people about their purpose again, right? Go, be fruitful and multiply. Increase abundantly on the earth and multiply on it. Church, we have a purpose from God. And because the world we live in is broken and fallen, we should expect to fulfill that purpose with tears in our eyes. We have a purpose from God. And because the world is broken and fallen and not as it should be, we will fulfill that purpose with tears in our eyes. Right? It's, it's expected that we would experience the pain and the brokenness and the sadness that we are experiencing as we follow Jesus. So don't let that deter you. Don't let that make you believe that God's not on his throne and working. God is working here, and he says that I will work through terrible, terrible, tragic circumstances. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we inhabit as we wait for Jesus to come back and make all things right. So let's have healthy expectations. Because of human sin, we live in a broken place, and we minister under the power and mercy of God. And then God wants to continue to speak in such a manner so as to give Noah and his sons hope. He wants to give Noah and his sons hope in this broken, fallen world that they would continue to fulfill their purpose, to fill the world with his glory. God said to Noah and his sons, Look, I now confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you including the birds, the domestic animals, and every living creature on earth with you. All those that come out of the ark with you, every living creature of the earth, okay, every living creature, I will confirm my covenant with you. Never again will all living things be wiped out by the waters of a flood. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. If you notice... God's saying a lot of the same things that he's already said. This isn't a whole lot of new information. What he's doing is reinforcing what he's already said. He's reinforcing what he's already said. He already said he wouldn't destroy the world again with a flood. Now he wants to reinforce it. I mean, if you were Noah or you were his sons and you saw a bunch of stuff happen and it led to the whole world being destroyed and then you start to see that stuff happening again, how freaked out would you be? Yet, God doesn't want them to be controlled by fear and terror. He wants them to trust in his mercy and to keep going forward. So in order to increase Noah's confidence and his assurance and peace, right? So I've talked a lot this morning about the judgment of God. Yet the response that God wants us to have is not shrinking back in terror, but stepping forward and trusting his mercy. That's what's happening here. God's giving Noah and his sons reasons to trust his mercy. And what he does is he establishes a covenant with all of creation. Now, a covenant is a formal agreement between two parties that they'll be faithful to one another. So God made, made a promise to Noah already that he's not going to curse the ground again in that way. He's not going to send a global flood again to the world. Now he makes a formal 
promise and pledge with Noah and his sons that I'm not going to do it. This is the way I think it's working. So for an example from my life, um, before I married my wife, before I got engaged to her, I told her that I loved her. And as far as I can tell, she believed me. Yet, when I stood up in front of people and publicly committed myself to her and said, till death do us part, and put a ring on her finger, then her confidence in my affection and my commitment to her increased. You guys see how that works? How formal ceremony increases confidence? Like, that's, that's the way, a marriage, one way a marriage ceremony is supposed to work. It's supposed to increase the confidence a couple has in each other. So God's doing something similar here with Noah and his sons. He has this formal ceremony called a covenant where he's saying, I'm committing to never again send a flood. I will not only be merciful to you now as I was in the ark, I will keep being merciful to you and I will keep being merciful to your children and your children's children and your children's children all the way until when Jesus comes back. So he's being merciful to us today. He's being faithful to his covenant to us. And then, in order to further strengthen their belief in the covenant, their confidence in the covenant, God gives them a sign. So we see this in verse 12. And God said, This is the guarantee of the covenant I am making with you, and every living creature with you, a covenant for all subsequent generations. I will place my rainbow in the clouds, and it will become a guarantee of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, then I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures of all kinds. Never again will the waters become a flood and destroy all living things. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will notice it and remember the perpetual covenant between God and all living creatures of all kinds that are on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the guarantee of the covenant that I am confirming between me and all living things that are on the earth. The sign God gives of his covenant is a rainbow. The rainbow is a sign that's supposed to bring to our memory and to God's this promise he made to be faithful to each generation just as he's been. I think the rainbow is a very fitting sign for this covenant, right? If you look at a rainbow, it it captures your attention immediately because it's just so beautiful. And one reason it's so beautiful is because it glows bright and beautifully against the backdrop of ominous black storm clouds. Just as the mercy of God grows bright and beautifully against the ominous backdrop of human sin and judgment. So every time you see a rainbow glowing and standing forth behind the dark backdrop, that's a picture of God's mercy for us. That's a reminder of who he is and who he promised to be for Noah and for all of us. The word rainbow in this text is also the same word for like a bow and arrow, a weapon. And it kind of looks like that, right? It's like a bow, a big, big bow. And it's almost like God set his weapon aside to be at peace with his earth. It's the kind of mercy that is being depicted whenever we see a rainbow. 
as we end this story, like the, the, the message God is trying to get across to Noah and his sons is, I am a merciful God. You need more than anything in the world for me to be a merciful God, and that's exactly what I am. And that's exactly what's true for every one of us here today. What we need more than anything in the world is for God to be a merciful God, and that's exactly who he is. That's exactly who he is. And never do we see that more clearly than when we keep moving forward through the story and we come to a descendant of Noah and he accomplishes everything that was left unaccomplished in the story. When Jesus of Nazareth comes into the world, a descendant of Noah, in his life, death, and resurrection, he accomplishes everything that was left unaccomplished by the flood. There's this huge problem where sin and rebellion against God is brought from the old world into the new world. Noah's flood never dealt with that, but there's a descendant of Noah named Jesus, and he deals with that. And one thing I found so curious is that everything that happens to the world in the flood we need to happen within us, to our hearts, right? In the flood, there's an act of judgment. I need an act of judgment against my old man, against my sin, against my rebellious nature. I need God to attack that and destroy that within me. There's an act of preservation in the flood where Noah is preserved by God's mercy from judgment, and I need that, you need that. Right? You need that exact same thing to happen within you. And lastly, and I think this is most amazing, in the flood there's an act of new creation. Something new is made. And I need that, and you need that. I need new desires in my heart where I love Jesus more than my sin. And you need new desires in your heart where you love Jesus more than your sin. And what Jesus does in his life, death, and resurrection is he takes all that work on the world outside and brings it within where we truly need it. That's what Jesus does for us. That's why Jesus calls his covenant the new covenant, because it's better than Noah's covenant. Jesus is the sacrifice that Noah's sacrifice looks forward to. So if you're here this morning and you're wondering, how do I experience the mercy of God? Answer, you come to Jesus, you turn from your sin, you trust him, and you ask him to show you mercy you don't deserve, but that he'll freely extend to you. If you want that this morning, I invite you to come talk to me or anyone else who's a member of this church before you go so that you can have that mercy with us. So just a point to walk away with or remember is that the flood that cleansed the world was not enough. We need Jesus to remake us within. And he does. That's, that's why we're gathered here this morning, worshiping him, because he remakes people like us. And one challenge, one challenge for you is that I want to do this more, is take the energy that I expend being troubled about the world out there and make my priority first the world in here. Because the brokenness out there is only a reflection of what's in all of us. And so we need to start here. And so please, take that energy you spend on Twitter, on the internet, 
or wherever else you're just so focused and so easy to just be angry about (laughs) and start coming to Christ and walking with God and asking him to make you new. So please pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you came and did what we can never do for ourselves. Thank you that you showed us mercy. And now please change us, God, in these next few moments as we come to you. Please change us within. Help the inclination of our hearts to change from being evil to change to loving you, God. I ask this in your name. Amen.